Well, good morning once again. Um, fantastic to see everyone here. I'm so glad that we get to be here to celebrate this uh, 10-year anniversary. Um, we uh, set out to plant this church uh, January 6, 2013 was our very first uh, Sunday service. Uh, we started doing some small groups just in homes about three months before that, starting on October 6. Uh, and then we moved into the place we'd eventually have our Sunday mornings. We started meeting there in the evenings, just as kind of plan and prep. Uh, we had kind of a, we had a Christmas Eve Eve service on the 23rd of 2012, uh, kind of like a little preview sort of celebration. And then January 6, uh, 2013 uh, is when we uh, went just really kind of public and started doing this. Uh, it's been over 520-something Sundays uh, that we've been gathering together. Uh, week in and week out, starting off our week together. Um, I mentioned earlier, I think there's still, I, I was kind of looking through um, just names and stuff. I think there's still like 22 or 23 uh, adults uh, that were, are, have been with us since the very beginning, maybe 24. Uh, uh, quite a handful of you guys that have been here since maybe eight year, uh, like for eight years or nine years. Um, a lot of those folks have had kids, so now there's, you know, a, a lot more people than that, that 24 that, that began with us. Uh, so it's been amazing. Um, if you are familiar with some of the stats of church plants, um, it is, it's not good. Um, you plant a church, especially in a place like Southern California, it becomes really kind of like a graveyard. Um, it's, it's not easy. Uh, it's very difficult, uh, especially in a, in, a, in a society like ours here in Southern California. Um, it's just, it's a very difficult task. Um, it's, it's beyond all of us. It's beyond me, that's for sure. Uh, so to be here for 10 years through all the ups and downs, all the celebrations, all the hardships, um, it is just amazing God's faithfulness that we have seen uh, this past decade. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for today. I've been just looking forward to this uh, for quite a while. Um, and I'm really excited for the next few weeks as we look um, at what we kind of are going to set out to do um, in the, uh, over the next year at least, but, uh, but even beyond, as far as just us being built up uh, in Christ. That's our, our new uh, series is being built up in Christ. Um, and it's not just for the four weeks we want to be built up. We want to have this be the thing that we are always after uh, throughout the course of our life. So I am thankful that uh, we are here together. Um, I mean, honestly, it, it's, it's, it's easy to start a church, the hard part is seeing it continue to go. Um, it's easy to start anything, right? Get into a marriage. It's easy to make a baby. <laughs> uh, the hard part is raising the kids, having a healthy marriage. Uh, it's not that you want to start well. You need to finish well. Uh, and that's the hardest part about being part of a church family. We can be really excited when we first kind of join a church family, but having sort of the, the patience, the grace, the long-suffering uh, all those things to be able to withstand even just, um, you know, just the relationship stuff that happens, the hardships, the tragedies, uh, it is not easy to continue in faithfulness, especially for something like 10 years plus. Uh, so uh, I'm happy to be here with all of you guys. Um, as I had mentioned, um, that from day one, we set out with a goal, um, and our goal from day one, and even from before day one, was to make Christ known. Uh, known firstly in our own hearts, also then in our, our family's hearts, the hearts of our friends, our community. We, we set out to always make this about Jesus. 
Uh, Our church, uh, our existence, will always be about Jesus. We never want this to be about Life Mission Church. We're just going to be a blip on the radar over the course of church history. So we're not here to make the name of Life Mission Church great. We're not here to build Life Mission Church. We're here to make Jesus known, whatever that looks like. Our, our job is to be faithful, to go forward, to cast seed and water. God will provide the increase however he wants to, whatever that looks like. Uh, we are going to always be about Jesus, not about Life Mission Church. It's about his gospel growing and expanding, going out through us as his people, starting with us in our hearts, and what he's doing with each of us. And so we have to ask ourselves even as not just a, a church, Life Mission Church, but also just as individuals, what is it that God has called me to? What is my life mission that God has called me to? If I could just for a couple minutes take you guys back to really how God began this uh, work in my heart that eventually turned into this. Uh, in June of 2010, I was looking at my old journals this last week. And I remember this really distinctly. This was a new thing that kind of had sort of started growing in my heart around, uh, it was June 2010. I wrote down, if I die knowing that I help people get into the word, then I'll die a happy man. And this was uh, 13 years after I became a Christian. I'd been um, a worship pastor, primarily doing music up until that point. So music was kind of more my thing. I always loved the word. I always loved deep study. I loved that. Um, but music was kind of my thing. And so all of a sudden, around 2010, something's changing in me. Where my main passion and desire was not as much the music part, but I was saying, saying to myself, I, I want to get people in God's word more. If I die knowing that I did that, then I'm going to die happy. Now that was 2010. So for about 10 years by that point, I knew that God had called me to be a worship leader. So around 1998, 1999, it became very clear to me that um, God had, you know, given me some musical talent and that he was calling me to be a worship leader. It was a very um, pointed time in my life where it was very real that I realized I'm not just a musician, but that God really wanted me to lead worship. And that was kind of what he was calling me to do. And so now then, 10 years later, I'm getting this change right now. I want to bring people into the word of God. So this was a a kind of abrupt pivot for me, where I, all of a sudden it just seemed like there was change. And it was starting to honestly really bother me because a lot of my, my identity really was wrapped up in music. And so when I first started getting this desire, I, I really started wrestling with it. Uh, I, I didn't feel like I fit in that because I just was always a musician. And God had made it clear to me as I wrestled with him because now I'm starting to desire to maybe even plant a church and preach the word. And, but I just felt really uncomfortable in that because that's just not my personality. I like to hide behind a guitar and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm an introvert. So it just didn't seem like it was a good fit for me. So I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And I said, God, I don't know how to do this. I'm not a, I'm not a front man. I'm not a CEO. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm not a, I'm none of those things that we, that I at least at that point, I used to think that's what church planters are like. They're like the real big gregarious personality kind of guys. And, um, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't fit that way. But God 
made it clear to me in 2012, as I wrestled with this for two years, he made it clear to me that my calling has not changed one bit. That even still today, 2023, God has called me to be a worship leader. And, and that, in 2012, realizing that for me, that helped me frame everything that I set out to do in leading, pastoring, shepherding. My main goal, church, every single Sunday, whether I'm playing music or I'm preaching or if I'm having coffee with you or we're in a community group together or whatever it is, my main desire with my kids, with my wife, is to lead people in worship. And it doesn't matter what that is, what medium it is, a guitar or, whatever, or a Bible or whatever, I want to lead other people to the worship of Jesus. That's what I, that's what I said. If I'm going to, if I'm going to, if God's called me to lead a church, I don't know how to do all the other stuff. I don't know how to do all the things that all the other church guys do. But I know what it means to lead worship. I know what it means to lift up the name of Jesus and lift our hearts. And so if God could somehow use me, this is me wrestling with him. God, if you could use me to do that through preaching and bringing the word, then, then I'm all in. I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm, I'm all in. And so that shapes everything. That shapes everything about how I preach, how I lead, how I make. I just, I want to lead worship with every relationship that I have in my life. Whether I'm with my baseball team, you name it. Like, I want to somehow guide people towards Jesus. And we see this, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5. And we're going to start there today. I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 13, 15, verse 3. Because this is what shapes our church. And as we start our new year and our, and our second decade we want to make sure that this is where we're starting and this is where we're going. So let me pray. We'll thank the Lord for this great day and we'll be in his word. Father, I thank you for the great work that you've been doing in all of our hearts. Uh, whether the folks here have been here for two weeks or two years or ten years, you've been at work in all of us faithfully working in our minds, our hearts, shaping us, transforming us, forging us into your image more and more, sanctifying us, helping us. And we look back at the many years, um, however many years that each one here has known you, and we can see your footprints, even if we don't see them in the sand, as Psalm 77 says, but we know that you are faithfully there. So, Lord, we want to be built up in Christ. We want our trust and our love for you to be deepened. We want to know you more. He's just saturated in love for Jesus Christ. That you would warm our hearts and our affections, that we would desire you more and more. And we desire the things of the world less and less. We need this. We need this desperately. So help us, Lord. Convince us first in our mind and then cause our hearts to follow. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, 
for I delivered to you as of first importance. And this was a driving verse for us as we planted this church, and it still is. I delivered to you of first importance. The number one thing, church, most important thing that Paul says, the most important thing for the church, I gave to you that I also received. And this is what it is. This is the most important thing about your life, most important thing about your church, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. That's a somewhat longer way of saying, I delivered to you of first importance the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. That is the most important thing that should be in your marriage, in your parenting, in your conversations with people. You, that should be the thing that drives you, and, the thing, and the, it's, it's your fuel and your goal. It's what gives you power, and it's where, where you're going towards is the gospel. And so my aim, my desire, my passion, I, I do what I do all throughout my life because I believe that God wants to transform hearts towards deep and true worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Not just having a faith for Jesus as, as an add-on to our life, because I think that's what a lot of Christians, or at least proclaiming Christians, like, like I've got all my other stuff, and then, oh yeah, and then Jesus is kind of my add-on. I don't want to see people with a faith that just simply informs your morals or informs what you believe, your worldview, but I want to see people have a deep fire for Jesus Christ, a love, a passion for Jesus Christ. So that small seed that was planted in me back in 2010, the desire to see other people be in the word more and more, to know Christ just a little bit more and more and more, I knew that if that would happen, if we would just find ourselves in God's word more, that it would change our lives. So I have this deep driving passion to see other people and myself changed by the word of God. Have our lives changed by Jesus Christ every single moment that we can. I want our church to be a place where you are led in worship. Not just on Sunday, not just through song, but through the week as you're hanging out with other people from our church. In your personal life, in your marriage, your friendships, in, in your conflicts, in your struggle with sin, your parenting, your decision making. I want personally for me and I want for all of us to lead each other to be face to face with Jesus, beholding him, being in awe of him. That, that's what I want to do with my life. Like I said, I don't know how to do all the other stuff that the other guys know how to do, but I don't plan on ever stopping leading worship. That is what I want to do until the day I die. And I'm not talking about through song alone, but through everything. That is my hope, that's my desire that here, as we come here on Sundays, first and foremost, our goal is to worship God Almighty, to behold his beauty. That is of first importance, is that we would be amazed at what Christ has done for us. And by doing that, we will then overflow with this love for Christ, and that will then affect the world around us. So this is all for the sake of God's glory, not just in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. So a good starting place for us to ask ourselves that question, going back to that question, what, what is my purpose? What is my life mission? What am I here to do? First thing we can ask ourselves is what was Jesus's life mission? What was his, the mission that he was set out to do? We see this in John chapter 17, verse 1. The night before Jesus died, he was praying, 
says, when Jesus spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And here's what he said. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life. That they, the people that God the Father gave to Jesus, that they know you, the only true God. This is, Jesus is saying kind of the same thing that Paul is saying. This is of first importance. That they know you. And Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Which, what an amazing thought that is. So Jesus' primary mission in his life was to glorify his Father. God, his Father. His main mission went beyond just being an example, a moral example for us. It went beyond teaching us the ways of God. It went beyond even coming to save us. And all those things are part of it. Yes, he's our example. Yes, he taught us God's ways. Yes, he came to save us. But what was behind all of that, the fuel of all that, and then the goal of all of those things was to bring glory to God Almighty, to lift up his name for all eyes to see. That was his goal. That was his mission. Now, how he did that, that's, that's a different thing. But that was his goal. That's what drove him. And that's where he was headed towards, bringing glory to God. Now, how he did that, the most effective way that was decided that he would bring glory to God, because he could have rightly enacted justice on us, but instead he chose to lower himself. He said, Father, what's the best way I can glorify you? The answer was, lower yourself. Humble yourself. Go down. Become one of them and proclaim the good news and then be a sacrifice for them. Conquer death for them. Conquer sin and darkness for them. And then rise from the grave and ascend to heaven. So in other words, God is most glorified through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the, the good news, through that 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. The story of the gospel. That is how God is most glorified. That gospel would bring ultimate glory to God. Him humiliating himself so that we could eventually be glorified. That is how God is most glorified. Jesus was sent to save his enemies. To save them and then, not just to save them, but then to change them. A little further down in John 17, verse 17... He says to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That was one of the verses that grabbed me in 2010. Recognizing that the way we are changed and transformed is through God's word. Through the gospel going into us and being alive on the inside. It doesn't just rattle around in our brain in one year and out the next but it goes here and then it drops down into our heart and it is alive and it is working. And I saw that just, it kind of just, it just jumped out off the page to me. And then Jesus says in verse 18, as you sent me in the same way, Father, that you sent me into the world, now I'm going to send them into the world. And we ask ourselves, how was Jesus sent in the world? Well, he lowered himself. He humbled himself. He became a servant. So we're to do the same. And for their sake, church, for your sake, for my sake, for their sake, 
I consecrate myself. I set myself aside so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Christ did this so that you could change, so that you could be built up in him. Jesus was sent to save, but you were saved to be sent. He was sent to save us, and we have now been saved so that we could be sent out into the various contexts of our life, which is going to be different for all of us. So some questions for, then, for, for, for us then is, what is then our life mission? How are we to do it? What have we been sent to do? Well, Jesus, in many ways, he makes that answer easy for us because he says two very simple words, follow me. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Your life mission? Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Be my disciple. Through ups and downs, hardships, trials, follow me. Do as I do. We are to follow him. Not just believe in him. Not just have him shape our morals. Not just love what he did. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's so awesome for what he did. But actually follow him. And what did he do? He, he lived to glorify the Father. And so that is, in simplest terms, what we are to live for, to make much of him, to glorify him. Now, now how do we do that? To some degree, it's going to be, like I said, different for all of us. We have different places of life, different places we live, different upbringings, different backgrounds, different personalities. So to some degree, there's going to be some difference among us. We see that clearly in Scripture. That we're all very unique and diverse in that sense. But since there is something that we all have in common, that we are all called to the same life mission, which is to glorify Jesus. So that's our fuel. That's our goal. What kind of happens in between, that's going to differentiate amongst us. But all of us have the same goal. All of us should have the same fuel. And that is to glorify Jesus, to follow him. But that means we have to first be changed by him from the inside out. That John 17, verse 17 uh, action there. We need to be transformed, be made new. We have to be given new desires so that we even want to glorify him. So, so how we live out our life mission has to start with being transformed, having new desires. Now I've said this, I haven't said this for a little while, but I've said this quite a few times over the last 10 years. I never, ever, ever once wanted to ever lead, lead a church, ever. I remember going back to my Bible college days and I just thought, oh man, I, <laughs> that would, I'd be like the worst choice for a pastor. <laughs> and I just remember always, I mean, and up until when this thing first started kind of flitting around in my, my head, I seriously thought it was the enemy. I'm going like, you're not very smart. You know who you're, like, this is, this is silly. I was so convinced that it was not the Lord. Because I thought, this is crazy. I never, ever wanted to do this. It was never something in my mind, something in my heart. I, I like being more kind of behind the scenes. I know that I'm the foolish things of the world. I know that I'm weak. I wouldn't have picked me. And I don't mind at all now boasting in my weakness boasting in my foolishness. I just, I kind of wear it like a badge. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know, I agree with you. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. The closer I get to Jesus, the more comfortable I get with my weaknesses. 
the closer I get to him, the more comfortable I, I am just being a fool for him. I'm like, yeah, compared to, I'm, I mean, if you're standing next to Jesus, we're, we should all just be like, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm a fool. I don't know what I'm doing. It is so much easier for me now than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So much easier for me to admit my weaknesses, my fears, my sin, my heart. And that's very liberating. That is very freeing to be able to do that because Christ becomes bigger and more amazing to me. So therefore, I'm just like, yeah, I've got weaknesses. So I freely admit I would not have picked me. But that is not how God works. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not this or that. I'm not like that. Too bad. That's not how God works. God is going to do whatever he wants to do with you. And he's going to use you. God loves using the foolish and the weak to show his strength. So regardless of how you see yourself, each one of us, we have been saved to be sent. Each one of us. So while in some ways we have the exact same life mission to glorify God, we're all going to live that out differently, but we're all called to it, all of us. So if you feel like you've been maybe saved, but you've just kind of been put on a shelf, collecting dust, like you're just like God's little trophy or something like that, that's not, that's not true. You've not been saved to be put on a shelf if you feel that way, like God's distant and he's not really using, that's not because God is not interested in you. It's probably something between you and him. It's something in here. It's fear. It's doubt. But trust me, it's not him. Because he has saved you to send you. And so anything that's maybe not clicking, it's not because of his lack of interest in you. It's probably more your lack of interest in him. Or your interest in what he wants to do with you. Because he has promised that he will sanctify you he will save you, he'll send you, and he's going to equip you. Now look a few chapters after John 17, just a few days after Jesus died. I think we'll relate to this. The disciples now were locked in a room and they were afraid. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They followed Jesus for three years and lived with him, and now they're in a locked room fearing the Jews. And then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Notice he wasn't upset with them. Why are you guys hiding? Oh, ye of little faith. What are you doing just sitting here? Why aren't you out? He says, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. I just, I just want you to take just a second right now and anything that you've been dealing with, sin, fears, anxieties, worries, whatever, just even if you just close your eyes for a second and just imagine Jesus saying to you right now, peace be with you. Peace be with you. No condemnation, no judgment. Peace be with you. And he says, as the Father has sent me, even so now I am sending you. So he's telling them what he already prayed to the Father. The Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we don't go alone. We don't go in our own strength. We don't go in our own foolishness. We don't go in our weakness. Well, we, we go with those things, but that's not how we operate. 
In our foolishness, the wisdom of God is enacted. In our weakness, we see God's strength. And you, me, like these guys here, we were saved to be sent. Too often we think that we've been saved just to sit. But we have been saved to be sent. And he will equip you with his Holy Spirit to do that. That is what we're all about. That is what our church is always going to aim to do. To lead each other in the worship and trust of Jesus Christ. Now I have a little confession to make. Everything that I just shared from when I started talking till right now, I ripped off from another sermon. The good news is that I ripped it off from one of my own sermons. And it was the very first sermon I gave here at Life Mission Church 10 years ago. Now, I do that for a reason. Because I want us to see, church, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The church's mission on this planet has been the same since the beginning. We're not going to change with how society changes, with how culture changes, the new fad, the new how to get the church bigger and all this kind of stuff. We're going to, if we believe that God's word is true, we're going to stick with the, the mission that Christ has called his church to be on. So if I can preach the same sermon that I preached 10 years ago, that means we're staying on track. That means we have not gone off after the shiny objects. That means we haven't got sucked into the new trends in culture and society. We're not looking after uh, business models and all this kind of, kind of stuff to make this. I don't want to be a CEO of this church. I want to be a worship leader. I want you guys to be worship leaders. I want always our church to have of first importance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, spoiler alert, in five years, I'm going to do the same thing, because I did this five years ago, too, if you guys remember. <laughs> January 6th, five years ago, I did the same thing. So in five years, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to have the first half of the sermon, the same one as the one from January 6, 2013. God willing. And with you guys continuing pressing in the gospel, that's what we're going to do. And if I can't preach that same sermon in five years, I need to retire. Because I've gotten off track. I need to be able to preach the same sermon that we set out to do. And I know based on the, all the many folks I know here, you guys won't let me go astray even if I wanted to. You wouldn't let it happen. Jesus is the same always. The church's mission is the same always. These last 10 years, we haven't just been looking at the, the new fads or church tricks or all those kinds of things. We, we, don't, we haven't aimed to let our, our politics inform our faith, but rather we have our Gospel, our faith, inform our politics. We don't want culture to inform our faith. We don't want our faith to inform how we view culture. We don't want all the changes that are happening in society to inform our faith. We want our faith to inform how we view all the changes in society. And we want to keep doing that for the next 10 years, the next 20 years, God willing, beyond that. In 2 Peter, verse 1 Chapter 1, verse 12. Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you, to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have. Yep, I know, I know you guys know the gospel. If you've been here for a year or 10 years, you know the gospel. But Peter says, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this body, 
I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as you're here at Life Mission Church, you're going to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ week in and week out. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not a biologist or a chemist. I don't, I'm not a professional with disease control, all that kind of stuff that a lot of folks would wish I was, but I'm not. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a CEO type. I'm just a worship leader. That's all I am. So the gospel is all I've got. So if you're going to be here next week and the week after and five years and ten years, that's all you're going to get here is Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what, we're, that's what we're called to do. And by doing that, our hearts will be transformed. Our minds will be transformed. Your families will be transformed. And then our communities will be transformed. You will just so love Jesus if you are saturated with him that you won't be able to stop yourself from talking about him to other people. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. right? Because increasingly, our culture, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates are increasingly becoming anti-Jesus. It is not easy. To share the gospel and see people come to faith. I mean, we don't have control over them coming to faith. But it's just, there's a lot of opposition. But we're going to do what we're supposed to do. And that is saturate ourselves with Jesus Christ. Trusting that from that place, God will provide the increase. We are going to drive deeper and deeper together as a church. And hopefully individually as families into Christ himself. Deeper into the love of Christ. Into the worship of Jesus Christ that our hearts would just change, that our affections would change. We would desire more of him and less of this world. So all this brings us then to today, January 8th, 2023. Where do we go from here? What does it look like to keep going in this direction? I gave a couple previews of this maybe the last few weeks. I'd like you to open up to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 1, we're going to go through 10 verses here, uh, but there's a couple that we're really going to focus in on. This was a a verse that jumped out at us about a month or so ago, maybe two months ago. Uh, Tyler and I were talking about just what what are we going to see for this next year? What what do we want to be our theme for the year? And we just, as we talked through some stuff, thought, you know, I just, we want to see our church family be built up in Christ. And then I think the next couple days, I was just doing my morning reading and devotion, and then this verse just jumped out. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to the Colossian church, I want, to, I want you guys to know how great a struggle I have for you. Paul struggled for the sake of the church. He loved the church. And for those that are at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. We want that. We want that as a church, to have our hearts be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. First importance, Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I say this in order that no one would delude you with plausible arguments. I want you to know, keep Christ number one. Because there's going to be a bunch of stuff out there that's going to try to take you away. So I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be deluded with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in my body, I'm not with you guys in person, but I'm with you in spirit. I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now here's the verses that I want to just cling on to over the next year at least. He says, therefore, so because of all that, 
just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. How do we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By his grace, as a gift, through faith. It was given to us. It was his work. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so now walk in him. So how do we move forward? How do we walk? How do we see sanctification? How do we see transformation? The same way where I received Christ, by grace, through faith, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, not building up yourself, not building up your talents and your abilities, your personality, all those things, but being built up in Christ, being built up in him and establishing the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, all the things that the, the world is peddling to us, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, but not according to Christ. For in him, this is key here, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ himself has the whole deity dwelling in him. And then look at this, church, verse 10, and you have been filled in him. So Christ, who is all the fullness of the deity, is now filled in you. That, that's a lot to comprehend right there. I, you have been filled in Christ. And let me ask you something. How do you feel? Do, do you feel like you're just so filled in Christ? Like, do you, do you wake up on Monday, getting after a new work week or school week, go, man, I just so feel so filled in Christ right now? Do, do you feel that on Thursday, right after lunch, you're going, like, oh, man, I want to take a nap right now? When's the weekend coming? Do, do you feel filled in Christ when you're sitting in traffic, when you're studying for a test? You, you, Chances are, you know, when you're laying in bed awake thinking of all the things that are worrying you and stressing out, do you feel so filled in Christ right then? When you're bored, sitting around, you just keep scrolling on your phone, swiping, 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 up, 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 down. Do you feel filled in Christ in those moments? I don't. There's a lot of times throughout my day, throughout my week, I don't feel filled in Christ. But guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are filled in Christ, regardless of how you feel. You have been filled in Christ. But what happens is when we're in traffic or when we're anxious, when we're struggling, we, we act like we're, we're millionaires, but we're digging through the garbage can looking for cans to get for recycling money so we get some food. We've got this whole bank account. We're filled in Christ. But we're walking around feeling empty. We're getting frustrated. We're getting anxious. We're worrying. We're just mindlessly scrolling, trying to fill our minds with something else, fill our hearts with something else. Yet we've already been filled in Christ. We're, we're going through garbage cans. But we've got millions of dollars in our bank account. We're scrounging to fill our bellies with someone else's scraps. But we've got a bank account overfilled with the riches of Jesus Christ the Lord. What are we doing? What are we doing? We've been filled with the one who is the entire Godhead, the entire deity filled in him. He has been filled in us and we just walk around like, like, like that's not true. It should not be like that with us. 
And so this next year and even beyond, we want to be very specific and very intentional, both corporately as a church body and as a family, but also as well, God willing, each one of us as individuals, you, your kids, your friends, your community group, to be built up in Christ. To go into that million-dollar bank account every day. I'm not saying your frustrations are going to go away. I'm not saying your boredom is going to go away. But we want to see that go more away, our affections for those things to diminish, and our affections for Jesus to build. We need to go after our sin, after our, our worship of other things. And by, to do that, to, to walk in him, we have to receive his love and grace. We have to sit with him and know him and be saturated with him and have the first importance of our day be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just on Sundays, not just community group night, but every day, every single day. Now, there's lots of ways we can see ourselves being built up as people, as spouses, um, discipleship, uh, readers of the word, people of prayer, all things that are important that we can build ourselves up. All those things are good things, but our focus, our motive is not just to be built up in things that we do, but being built up in Christ. That's what we're going to be after. Because it's only after being built up in Christ where we see true change. Change in ourselves that overflows then and fills into the other parts of our life. Our desire for the word, our desire to love others who are hard to love, to be patient in traffic. We have to start, our fuel's got to be our love for Christ. Not our love for being a better parent or being a better spouse. Has to start with our love for Christ. All those things, seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will be given to you. First importance, Jesus Christ, all the other stuff will follow. So a lot of people, a lot of people think growth in Jesus Christ, growth in our life, comes from behaving more like Jesus, maybe abiding in the law, doing things more morally. Other people think that real change comes from knowing better doctrine becoming more intellectually astute. If I just learn more, then I'll change. Others think that maybe getting closer to Jesus is more about the feeling, the, the felt experience. Feeling emotionally vulnerable with Jesus, kind of having that, the warm fuzzies. Now, all those three things, they're important. It's important for you to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Understand theology better. That's important. It's important to obey the commands of Jesus, to repent of sin and follow him. And it's important to, to really have this, this interaction with the Lord that isn't just stale, but where you really, you, you know the presence of God. Your heart overflows. So, so those three, three things are important, but those three things are not the fuel. Those are not the fuel. Those things are external. Not that external isn't important, but external is not the fuel. We can have the form of godliness, but deny its power. Right? We can be theologically smart, but not actually love Jesus. You can obey the laws and commands of, of Christ and yet not love him. You can have all the warm, fuzzy feelings, but not actually follow Christ. Not really love him. It's just, you love the experience, but not Jesus himself. We can be like whitewashed tombs. We look good on the outside, but we're dead on the inside. Or another scripture that says we're always learning, but we never come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Right? Trying to grow through external things is like getting on a treadmill. Right? You'll, you'll work hard, you'll sweat a lot, you might build a little muscle, might lose a little weight, but you're not going to get anywhere. You won't get anywhere. That's not where the power and the strength comes from. It's not going to take you where you need to go. It's going to build you up, but it's not going to get you anywhere. So we're not talking about adding anything. We're not talking about adding things to ourselves to grow in godliness, adding this, adding that. What we're talking about is going deeper. Going deeper. And going deeper implies, this is the important part here. Going deeper implies this, that you already have everything you need. Okay, so I'm not talking about, oh, you got to do all this extra stuff. What I'm telling you, church, is you've already got everything you need to go deeper with Christ. You've got that million-dollar bank account. So what I want to do as a church family is go deeper with Christ. Love him more. And you don't need anything else. Now, I want you all to grow in your theology and your doctrine. I want you guys all to repent of sin. I want you to use all those things. But if you don't learn a single other thing ever in your life, you have enough right now to go deeper with Jesus. Is that true? Now, I want you to do all the other cool things. But what I'm saying is we already have everything we need for life and godliness. So we don't need to just do more, 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 more. We need to go deeper. And yes, we want to do all those things too. We want to grow in all those things and mature in different ways. But we have to do that by going deeper. And you have everything you need to go deeper right now. You don't need to read another book. You don't need to listen to another podcast. And again, good things. Keep doing it. But they're not necessary to go deeper with Jesus now. Now, now. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You've got all that you need. You've got every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, which is what Ephesians 1 says. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through those promises that you already know, that you've been reminded of maybe for ten, the last 10 years here, you know, you have enough, you know, so that you can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Now Peter goes right on after that, and he says, because of this, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So yes, the external work is good. Learn more theology. Follow Jesus. Do all the things to live a godly life. Peter's not saying that the external things are not important. But what he's saying is, we don't just twiddle our thumbs... And just sit around and just wait for God to change us. No, we want to do those things. But what he's saying is we have to recognize that the source and the strength and the power for the real kind of change we want doesn't come from the external efforts we put forward, but rather comes from something we already have. Church, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus and Jesus has filled you. And so this is like, Going back to what Paul said, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, by grace through faith, a gift, so walk in him. Walk from the abundance of the riches of Christ that you already have. Don't walk after and, and follow Christ with your own strength, sifting through the garbage to try to do something good. No, you've already got the wealth of Christ. Dip into that treasure. Dip into that well. Go there for your strength. Go there for your passion. 
Go there to fall in love more with Jesus and have your life changed. Don't try to tack on new things to try to become this better. No, dive into the streams of living water. They've already been given to you. So just as you receive Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Real change, real growth does not originate from our external efforts. Doesn't mean they don't mean anything. Doesn't mean they're not important. But that's just not where real change originates from. Real change occurs through us diving deeper into the vast ocean of God's love and grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The finished work of our justification. Beholding the gospel and becoming more in awe of what he has done for us. When you behold him, you become more like him. You are changed by beholding him. It's not what you can do for Jesus. What Jesus has done for you, that's where change comes from. We've been filled in Christ, the one who himself is the fullness of God. Real life change occurs through this reality. The life of God in the soul of man. That, that, little, that quote, that's in your notes there. Read, read that again. Real life change occurs through this reality. The life of God in the soul of man. Fellowship with Christ in your heart. Communion with Christ when you start your morning. Jumping into that ocean of God's grace and the gospel before you start your day. Taking time during your lunch break, on your way to work, whatever it is. Spending time in the ocean of God's grace. We don't want behavior modification. We don't want outward holiness, outward obedience. Pharisees can do that. They can do that. And let's face it, Buddhists can do that. Live good moral lives. We want real change. Real life on the inside. Real growth, real zeal, real passion. We want our affections for Christ to grow. I mean, how many... Can I just get a quick show? Now, how many of you guys want to love Jesus more than you loved him yesterday? I, I just, I want to love him more. I want to be more overwhelmed by him than I was last week or two weeks ago or 10 years ago. But when you think, when you think to yourself, so think about this real quick. When you think about New Year's resolution or whatever it might be, you think about trying to grow. Do you think in terms of like, man, I, I'm really trying to grow a lot right now. I want to grow in my marriage. I want to grow in this or that. I want to be better at this. I want to maybe not struggle with this anymore. That's how I want to grow. Do you think in those terms, like things that you want to grow in? Or do you think like this? I want to grow in Christ. A few of you might think that, but I think most of us, myself included, I think of specific things I want to grow in. What I'm talking about for this next year, at least, is saying, no, let's grow in Christ. Your, your sin struggles... You'll, that'll get dealt with. Your marriage, that'll get dealt with. Your parenting, let's grow in Christ together. Let's grow in Christ. So we're not looking to grow ourselves. We're not wanting to be built up in Joby's gifts and talents, Joby's marriage, Joby's parenting. I want to be built up in Christ. All the other stuff will figure itself out. All of it will follow. And I don't want to grow in Christ as an ideal or some force that's used to improve my life. I don't want to grow in Christ as a concept or, or a theological construct. Jesus is a person to know and love. He is a, a person to fall in love with, to worship, because he's worthy of it. 
a person that we've been hidden inside and he has filled himself in us. Remember John 15, verse 15. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. So church, we're talking about growing in our friendship with Jesus Christ. Our friendship. Our relationship with Jesus. And that phrase, being in Christ, a believer being in Christ, that's mentioned 200 times in the New Testament. The average Bible, that's an average of being mentioned once on every single page. So if God talks about being in Christ on every page of the Bible, that means that's important. We need to grow in Christ. We need to apprehend what it means to have this bank account, to have all the riches in the heavenly realms at our fingertips. But yet we walk around just digging in trash cans. So that is our goal. The next three or four weeks, we're going to be looking at how we do that. What are the, 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 the ways that God has given us so that we can actually tap into that bank account? We, we want to explore uh, here on Sundays in our groups, hopefully in your discussions as families, how can we look forward, not just in this year, but in all the years beyond, how can we look forward to say, I wanna, we want to grow in Christ. Kids, let's, how, we want to grow in Christ together. How do we grow in our friendship with Jesus? How do we make more time and room in our hearts for him? Because we need to grow in Christ. I want to pray. And I want to thank the Lord, that he has given us all we need for life and godliness. And, and just keep this in mind, church, we all have the same bank account. I, I don't have a bigger bank account than you. Okay, we have the same Jesus, the same Bible, the same promises of God, the same Holy Spirit. All right, so don't compare yourself to other people if you're, you know, just don't do that. All of us, we want to learn individually and corporately how to be built up in Christ. How do we dive in to that bank account? How do we grasp these, these things so it changes how we live? That's what we're going to do. And by God's grace and him working in our hearts, building up our affections, saying, yep, I, I, I want this. We're going to see this happen among us. We're going to see... Our, our, our families, our kids, being built up in Christ. And, and here's, here's the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll end with. Just so you know, Jesus Christ is more committed to your change than you are committed to your change. Okay? So, he is so committed to transforming you. So much so that he died for you. He says, I consecrate myself so that they can be sanctified. We just reread that. He is so much more committed to your transformation and freedom and liberation from sin. He's so much more committed to, to that than you are. That's good news. That is such good news. He's going to finish the work that he, that he started. So let's pray and thank him for this. Thank him for all of his goodness and faithfulness. Father, we are... When we stop long enough to dwell upon and, and, and think through and meditate on what you've done for us, what your promises hold for us, it, it, it overwhelms us. But I know that 
that is sometimes sort of fleeting throughout our week. And so we, we're asking God for mercy. We're asking God that you'd give us the, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the even word is, but just give us, just start it with a desire to look at the next week, the next month, the next year and say, I need change. I need more of something that I already have. I need to tap into what I've already been given. But I don't know how to do that, but I want to do it. Uh, just give us the desire. Give us the, uh, even the clarity to know that that's, that's true. We have what we need. We already have it. So God, help us as a church family. Help, help all of us, husbands, wives, friends, family, kids, Help us all just to grow in this desire to see real transformation, worship, awe and wonder, warming the affections of our hearts, teaching us more about who you are, that we every day would just come face to face with the beauty of Jesus Christ, that it would be of first importance Thank you, God, that you don't leave us here alone to try to figure this stuff out. You've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit who testifies of these promises. Your Holy Spirit who preaches that good news, that gospel to us, brings those promises to mind when we're discouraged. And Lord, I, I want to pray also just for, uh, for conviction. Um, I know that the many things that distract me, the different garbage cans that I sift through, uh, I can easily just be numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I like those garbage cans I sift through sometimes. I like those distractions. And, and, and I know that all, many of these things are, are good gifts, but we go to them for the wrong reasons. So help us. Just give us conviction when, when um, good gifts become idols. Good gifts become something they're not supposed to be. So I'm praying, God, for myself, for my friends, my family here, for conviction, but the kind of conviction that follows up with Jesus saying, peace be still, peace be with you. Not a conviction that brings condemnation, shame, judgment. Peace be with you. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are so committed to my transformation. Thank you. Lord, we love you. We are grateful. And we want to spend the rest of this morning and into our afternoon as we have fellowship together and eat food together and laugh together. Um, we just, we want to lift up your name. We want you to be glorified in our midst. So help us to do that. We know we're foolish. We know we're weak. But you take pleasure in using us foolish, weak vessels. You're just like a, like a proud dad looking at his little two-year-old jumping around doing goofy things. You just, you smile. We thank you for that. So we love you and we worship you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we ask and thank you for all these things. Amen. Amen.